0: Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. It is part two of a mailbag. Man, I'm I'm excited to get all of your questions again. It's been a long time, but we're back into it. Alex, what are we getting into on this one?
1: We're going to talk about Mitchell Robinson to start off. If uh, if an extension is coming, if there isn't an extension, if they could potentially trade him, if there's any validity to the Miles Turner rumors, that sort of thing. So we're going to talk about that first. Next, we'll talk about a. a locked on Knicks host pickup game and who between us two and the previous two hosts of locked on Knicks would be chosen. And in what order for a pickup game should that happen should be interesting. James Marcita kind of uh, gave a scouting report on Twitter of himself, which we'll get into. And then finally, we're going to end off talking about our favorite venues. Uh, The question specifically asked for NBA venues, but I might throw some baseball ones in there as well. Uh, Talk about which ones are our favorites, which ones had the best food, and all that stuff. Uh, So we're going to get into that next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Anthony for three. Five. That one goes down.
0: You are Locked On Nights. This episode is brought to you by Locked on NBA, the big pod we do here on the network. Fridays on Locked on NBA, Nick Engstad of Locked On Mavericks and Adam Morris of Locked On Nuggets, power rank the week that was in the NBA. So follow the Locked On NBA podcast today, wherever you get podcasts. I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster, getting back into it the next couple of weeks with the start of high school football and high school soccer. Super-duper excited for that. He is Alex Wolf, the editor-in-chief of the Strickland. Alex, I promoted it last week. I'll promote it again. They came out with part two of, of, of the Nixon piece, on what if Carmelo Anthony hadn't initially signed with the Knicks. Spoilers, uh, Carmelo Anthony's back on the Knicks in part two. Does it end in a championship? Find out in that great piece written by our guy, Schwinnie Poo, and illustrated by Knicks Illustrated. All right, Alex, uh, let's get into a Part two of the mailbag, and we are starting off with our most important question of the day. I would say the other two are, are sort of more fun and lighthearted, but this one, pretty significant to the next future Steve Thomas at dark Steve 590 thoughts on what they're going to do with Mitch if no extension is there a trade any validity to the Miles Turner rumors so Alex we we touched on this a little bit um earlier in the week with the Mark Berman article but but what's what what are your thoughts on everything Mitchell Robinson at this moment
1: yeah I I don't know I mean it's it's difficult to say I think if he doesn't sign the extension, I don't know for sure that that means it's guaranteed. They're going to include him in a trade. I, I think there's a world where Mitch still, you know, as long as he's getting playing time and being able to establish himself with this team that, you know, he might uh, just want to try to bet on himself and get a better contract than what the Knicks could offer him. I mean, Mitch, you know, he's talked about it on Twitter and whatever has his eyes set on potentially like he thinks he could be defense player of the year this year. And, and I think that's maybe a little lofty, but I don't think it's totally out of the question. I mean, the the voters might want to give it to someone other than Rudy Gobert for once. if the Knicks, you know, finish again with like a top two or three defense and Mitch is anchoring that and is putting up, you know, decent counting stats in addition to like the the eye popping, like blocking three pointers kind of stuff that we've become accustomed to with him, then maybe it does happen for him. And maybe he does win a defensive player of the year and that might bump him from, you know, the maximum he can earn right now. I think is somewhere around like 13 million a season. Maybe if the Knicks were to offer him the most they possibly could or 13, 14 million starting salary, maybe if, you know, he manages to, it, let's just say even make like all defensive second team, let's say the Gobert, you know, occupies the the center spot on the first team and, and wins defensive player of the year. Again, you know, maybe Mitch ends up on all defensive second team and that bumps him up to, you know, he can get 16 million or 17 million, like something like a, clink capella number you know let's say maybe that happens um and the knicks would be willing to pay it to him just like they're willing to pay noel this past year and you know work with him and get him on a good deal so i don't know um i i just i think the only way that i definitely see the knicks like actively trying to trade mitch this year is if he comes into the season and he's backing up noel like if if paying Noel ten or whatever it worked out to like eight million dollars whatever uh, per season for three years, it, it or nine whatever whatever it averaged out to, um, if paying him that amount was basically them saying we're interested in Nerlens Noel as our starting center more so than Mitchell Robinson, then I could see Mitch wanting to ask out, and that would make perfect sense. I wouldn't fault him for that at all, and that in that case I could see the Knicks maybe trying to move him by the deadline. Whether it's for Miles Turner or not is a different story. I mean, I I guess I could see a world where like, I don't know, maybe they trade, like, I guess salary wise, it would probably come somewhat close to working if they did like Mitch, Knox and Vildoza or something for Miles Turner and maybe like a second round pick or something like that. Though, I I think giving up extra assets to get Turner in place of Mitch is not a great move because I don't think Turner's better than him, Um, at least not at their best, at their respective bests um Turner just puts up more gaudy numbers and can you know shoot a little bit from three but you know it doesn't necessarily have more impact in my opinion but yeah maybe that comes to be but I I don't think that there's a world where even if they don't come to the extension before the season that um Mitch like straight up you know it just gets traded this season uh unless there's a situation where he's just not getting playing time and I, it, just based off how things went last year, I really don't see that happening. Like, I think that Tibbs does trust him, and as long as he's healthy and everything, he's going to start and he's going to get a good amount of playing time.
0: Yeah, so I, I'm of the belief that Mitch is going to have a career year, and it's all going to come together. Um, the The fact that he's playing with far more shooting – than he's ever had in his life, there's, there's a chance that, I mean, I, I kind of doubt it just because last year felt a little unsustainable. But let, let's throw this out on paper. The Knicks might have four 40% three-point shooters around a guy who produced the best rim-running season with the worst shooting point guard in NBA history in Alfred Payton, or at least the worst shooting point guard in modern NBA history in Alfred Payton. And now you're telling me you're going to give those guys, that guy four shooters, a borderline um, maybe maybe not Hall of Fame point guard for Kemba Walker. but You know what? They put Chris Bosh in the Hall of Fame. Anyone gets into the Hall of Fame these days. So I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. Borderline Hall of Fame point guard in Kemba Walker, a smart playmaker in Evan Fournier, two really high-level passers in Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. I expect R.J. to make another jump in respect to his passing. He, he's going to get some minutes in pseudo starting lineup slash bench units with Emmanuel Quickly, as well another guy who just absolutely changes the dimensions of the court I think the guy is going to have a career year. I, I think he's going to average somewhere around 16 points per game. I think he's going to get 10, 11 rebounds a night. I think he's going to get two to three blocks a game and, and just be absolutely dynamic on defense. Um, my only concern is if, if the added weight um, affects his mobility at all. I don't think it's going to. I, I think he's just he's too good of an athlete, and he's he's just very much in his prime. And from what we've all heard and understood, the weight he's gained has, has been good, and it's, just, it's strength in the upper body. I think he's going to be just, frankly, one of the 12 best centers of basketball this year. And after this season, he's going to have to get paid like that. And and, and to me, that's where it gets really, really interesting because the Knicks have made their stance pretty clear. They prioritize Nerlens Noel well enough to allocate a lot of money his way. Um, I just, I think this front office is, and I, I'm i hoping I'm right, I think this front office is too good at this point to give up an asset like Mitchell Robinson for nothing. Maybe that ultimately means that it's a sign in trade because they really are and on Nerlands, but I'm hoping that they learn their lesson from last season, and signing Noel was just that we prioritize the, the quote-unquote 48 minutes of rib protection, and for right or wrong, we're not convinced of Mitch's health, so we want to know we have that archetype of center on the roster, because without having that type of center, our entire defensive game plan falls apart, and that's why you give Noel that kind of money, not because they've given up on Mitch, or they're set on the idea that he's going to leave in a year. Um, it's more so because they think it, it makes sense to invest a lot of money in that spot, even, even when a lot of other NBA teams are suggesting that it doesn't. Um, I think what will be the cherry on top of this entire conversation is if and when Mitch proves his defensive bona fides in the playoffs, proves he's a guy who can stay on the court for 30 minutes, can be switchable defensively, and not someone you can ultimately play off just by going small. And if he does all that, he's gonna get his salary is going to start at four for something like $70 million. And the Knicks are going to realize that they blew an opportunity to get him for less. But I think they'll ultimately swallow their pride and and still give him that money, um, regardless of the cap implications, because they're they're not going to want to lose that kind of asset. And they're going to know that he's on a trajectory where that or or some some kind of contract in that range will ultimately be tradable. I, I don't think it's at all analogous to what Oklahoma City did with someone like Steven Adams who as a younger player was sort of if you squint in the same mold and then got a monster contract and now is, is really a, a little bit of an albatross um, and obviously uh, New Orleans had to give up assets to get off of it this summer I, I think I just think Mitch is, is a different level of defender with his flexibility not nearly as good of a screener but far more dynamic around the rim so I, I think he's ultimately going to be someone who gets paid and will be worthy of that money and the Knicks are smart enough to give him that money, whether that means that they ultimately keep him long-term or not, I don't know. But that, that's sort of my my optimistic orange and blue colored uh, glasses interpretation of this. But Alex, do you have any final notes or are we, we going to wrap up this first segment and, and move on to the next one?
1: I just want to throw it out there that David Griffin signed Stephen Adams to a contract that he then had to pay to get off of one year later. And David Griffin stinks as a GM. Uh, <laughs> but if you listen to people on Twitter, the whole reason that uh you know Zion is being rumored to the Knicks it has nothing to do with his best friend playing for the Knicks or that the Pelicans are a crappy organization it's that it's the, the Knicks somehow running ESPN now anyway i just had to throw that one out there cuz the Pelicans came up uh i will say right now that we'll take our first break and today's episode is brought to you by sweatblock and as you're listening to this uh, this was pre-recorded a day prior and i am probably Standing outside getting wedding pictures taken at my friend's wedding right now, as I'm in the bridal party. And uh, you guys have been outside recently. It's it's been hot, and it's not you know wear a full suit kind of weather. So I had to turn to my favorite product these days, Sweat Block, to help me out as I am now again in the future, but for you in the present, standing outside getting wedding pictures taken. In like ninety something degree heat and humidity, uh, sweat block is the best stuff. If you want to, you know, curtail your body's uh, desire to sweat a ton, like mine does. My, I, I, no matter what the situation is, if it's even a little bit hot outside, I walk outside and it's I'm like a faucet. You know, my armpits, my back, everything. I just I sweat like crazy, and sweat block is great to help make that not happen anymore. You take the wipes, you dab them on yourself. And, you know, get them, you know, get your armpits, get your back, whatever, let it sit overnight and then wash off the excess in the morning. And then you're covered for up to seven days per use by a product that is doctor created and doctor recommended to stop sweat. It also comes with a dry shirt guarantee. If it does not keep you dry, you get your money back. So Sweat Block is really standing behind this product. It's been featured and tested on the Rachel Ray show by firefighters. And it's the best seller on Amazon for the past 10 years with over 13,000 reviews. And if you're like me, you can now wear what you want to wear when you use Sweatblock. You don't have to be afraid of your gray t-shirts during the, win- or during the summer anymore and save those only for winter. You can wear them all the time. And it could be your little secret to confidence, whether you're just going out and about, whether you're going on a date, whether you're going to be in your friend's wedding, whatever the case may be, uh, you can use Sweatblock to get your confidence back. So if you want to get some SweatBlock for yourself, get it today for 20% off at SweatBlock.com with promo code LOCKEDON or at Amazon and CVS.
0: Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream we're back into it, Locked on Knicks. This question out of the eight or so that we got, I, I, I hate to pick favorites amongst our fans, but this this was is this was far and away the one I was most excited to get into an answer. It's about us, and I'm, I'm pretty self-centered. Um, it comes from one of our, our longtime listeners. Shout out to Brenhart at Brenhart31 on Twitter, and he wants to know, if there was a draft for a pickup game, in what order would the Locked on Knicks host, Jared Dubin, James Marseda, myself, and yourself, Alex, be drafted? This is for a single game, so don't take into account future upside, i.e., the fact that James's production will fall off a cliff soon. James responded that his production fell off 20 years ago. So important, important to our scouting report, Alex. I, I was telling you pre-show, I was looking up uh, YouTube videos of, of Jared Dubin because we, we did have him on the pod at one point, and he, he's an incredible writer. I, I read a lot of his stuff, but not a guy I, I know exceptionally well. So I was trying, I was trying to trying to gauge body type trying to gauge like potential explosiveness when he was gesticulating in the chair. His vision seemed very good. His eyelines when he was on TV were good. He was like, camera host, camera host. Um, so I, I I liked what I saw out of Jared, but I can't say I know a lot about his game. And Alex, we, we've, we've talked a lot about our individual basketball games, but you and I have never played basketball together. So it, it's, it's really hard to get a gauge on all of us.
1: Yeah, it is really – it's tough. I mean, I will say – and I'm not holding this against him, but I do know that one of the reasons and he had, he had mentioned this when we had him on for the 500th episode that because I don't really know Jared that well either. But I do know that like one of the reasons that he had to step down as locked on host and why James wound up taking over was because he had like a really debilitating hip injury uh, at one point that took him a really long time to recover from. So I'm going to go out there and say, you know, maybe Jared's athleticism isn't quite where it, where it used to be. Uh <laughs> So, and James, I could say James is a new father as of this year. So he's probably rocking the dad bod now. I think, I mean, I don't want to toot our own horns, but I think this comes down to a a two person draft between you and me as far as number one pick goes. So also, also age. I think we're, I think we're a solid, like, I'm, I'm 31. You're, are you 27? 26, yeah. 26. Okay. James is like, late 30s and and dubin i think it's the same so i mean we're winning the age battle too we've still got a little bit of youth on our side so I, i'm gonna go ahead and say like i think it would be between you and me and now i think we're also very different archetypes of player based off what we've said before
0: yeah like, i would just- i would say in a, in a game where i'm not saying necessarily if they had watched this play it'd be different but in a game where, where they hadn't watched this play you would you would definitely go first because you're you're a lot taller or not a lot taller but a bit taller and definitely way 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 stronger than me so I, I would predict just purely based off aesthetics you you would be the pretty clear first pick out of the group
1: yeah I think that's true too and unfortunately I get overdrafted a lot <laughs> because of that exact reason people look at me and they're like look at this mountain of a man let me draft him like tall people win in basketball and I mean it's not to say is not say that I, I'm not a good contributor in basketball, like I actually I have some things that I do very well, but like I, I should never be drafted with the assumption that I'm going to be a superstar. And that has happened once or twice. And then I'm like, oh, why would you do that? <laughs> um, but I, I do. I set screens well. I I can seal my man off pretty good in the in the paint and get some, uh, you know, some nice little like turnaround baby hooks and that sort of thing. Like that's definitely a big part of my game. If I'm feeling it that day, I can stretch the floor and uh, shoot the three a bit. So that's good. Um my main my main weaknesses are uh ball handling and like, you know, putting it on the floor. Though I have worked on that a little bit and I think I've gotten a little better. When I did that that three on three league this summer, I started busting that out towards the end a little bit and it, it was working pretty good. And there was some pretty good competition that I was getting guarded by in those and I managed to get a few like pump fake at the three point line, you know, kind of get them to go just enough for the fake and then drive past and get to the hoop. I, I did that a few times. But that's not really my game. Uh, That's something very much a work in progress. Um, Yeah. Other than that, I mean, I don't know. Defensively, the more players on the court, the better. Because if I can play zone and can just man the middle, that's the best for me. Uh, But if it's like one on one, forget it. I hate playing one on one. But like two on two, you know, you can sort of work out schemes where one person kind of stays towards the perimeter and the other person can shade in. But you know, once you start getting in like three on three, four on four, then zones become more tenable and. I'm definitely better in those scenarios, so yeah, that's my personal scouting report. But I, I agree; I probably would end up going first, just based off of looks alone, without the scouting report. Though, from what I understand, you're you're a shooter, so you might uh, make someone feel silly for doing that at a certain point. If I'm way off that day,
0: yeah, I like. I think I I think I usually get underdrafted because I, I I look pretty, despite being six three. I look pretty unathletic just because I'm I'm a stick of a human being, but. I, I, I like, I like getting to go into a game with a little bit of that fuck you attitude. Like I, I want, I want, I want to be passed up a lot going in, but, but yeah, different. I mean, we talked about it before, but yeah, re- really good shooter, really good passer. The issue is like you, I just, I've never had a handle. I, I think what, well, what's interesting, like when I was younger, I had a pretty decent handle like maybe you were the same way. And then I got tall and it just dissipated and you, you, you hear about guys like that and they have to really work to get it back. But I just, I never really like after being younger, I never really just spent enough time playing outside of for fun where that really came along. But yeah, my shot is good. Uh, my finishing, I would say, is the one thing that's gotten better over the course of COVID because I could basically only play against uh, one of my friends, Marcus, who's been on this pod a couple of times, former lockdown Netsos, who's really, really good. And I would have to like, and he's um, a little shorter, but a lot stronger than me. So I had to to get good at like kind of finishing over him. And uh, he would still, he'd still mostly beat me one-on-one. But I, I, got, I got better and better as time went on at finishing. My jumper, my like dribbling got a bit better, and then defensively is is one of the areas I'm I'm more confident. I'm I'm, I'm really good defensively, unless the one thing that kills me is like a really short, quick guard because I just I, I just can't turn my hips that fast. But someone relatively similarly sized, like I think I'm just like I'm pretty savvy on defense, and, and just like I'm sure it's similar to you, Alex, like just like being over I'll say like six two in pickup you get so much leeway on defense because most people just even most people who play bigger basketball just aren't that tall and even if someone's a little bit quicker or a little bit more athletic you can kind of make up for it with sheer size
1: yeah I'm with that too and you know I worked on my lateral quickness a little bit this year too like doing it when I knew I was gonna be doing like a league I started doing like you know a lot of um uh like the shuffling drills you know where you like shuffle side to side and and, and, you know get ready for that and I, I did a pretty good job. Like, even if I got smaller guys on me, you know, it same deal. It You know, if someone is just, like, way, way quicker than me, then they'll get by me. Yeah. But I can generally at least recover enough to kind of wall them off a bit. And the length does help because then they're, they're still adjusting their shot because you can get an arm in their space, even if they've kind of beaten you already. Um, but, Gavin, you, you know, you mentioned that, you know, it, you, you're not the bulkiest. And, you know, I was thinking about it. And if you wanted to bulk up, and you know, in your mid twenties, it's it's something you can do, and maybe if you do that, you could get some built bars and eat some of those and get that protein boost that you need. Because this episode is brought to you by Built Bar, and I what have I not said about these things already? They're the best tasting protein bar out there. If you're active and you need protein in your life, I don't know how you're not eating Built Bars already. They are fantastic. They come in ten delicious flavors. Yeah, I, if I haven't made it clear enough, my favorites are cookies and cream and coconut. Reminds me a lot of like a Hershey's Cookies and Cream Bar or like a Mounds or Almond Joy Bar. They're just fantastic, covered in 100% natural chocolate. And if you want to try all the flavors, you can always get a mixed box and see what I'm talking about. See just how good all these built Bars taste. But the important thing is that they're not only the best tasting bars, but they're also good for you. Every built Bar is 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from only 130 to 180 per bar. And only four to five grams of sugar and four to five grams of net carbs per bar as well. So you're really not getting a ton of fillers that are going to, you know, give you all that sugar and stuff that you don't need. All you're getting is that pure protein, but it tastes just like you're eating a candy bar. So you don't even really realize it like some of those other ones where it feels like you're eating a piece of sidewalk chalk uh, after your workout. So if you want to get some Built Bars for yourself, go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Bilt.com.
0: And this episode is also brought to you by BetOnline. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega-contest, and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus using our promo code LOCKEDON. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo as well if you make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose your wage, you will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And with that, we are back, third and final segment of this mailbag. After probably one of the more self serving segments we will ever do. Though I will say, Alex, I hope at some point we can we can get together with all the locked on hosts. And some of our some of our locked on listeners, and uh, maybe maybe post COVID, and uh, all play some play some hoops together because I want to I want to I want to I want to be able to prove my bona fides. and I don't want to just talk. I want I want people to go on to the pod and be like, "All right, you know, Gavin and Alex, maybe not maybe not all world, but I I respect them as hoopers. I, I think they I think it just gives you a little bit more credibility as a basketball podcaster if you're not terrible because I I feel like a lot of us out there are probably pretty bad IRL. All right, this question though. Comes from Paul Jeffrey the Third and Paul the Great Nine. Howdy, fellas! I'd like to know what other NBA venues you guys have been to and which ones you like the best and which had the best food. Thanks, as always. Love the podcast. I live in Richmond, Virginia, so it's a hike to see any game that's not in Washington, D.C. Alex, I will start that off with you, and and I agree with your your earlier assertion. Maybe maybe we take this beyond basketball because I've been to some really, or, or at least beyond the NBA, because I've been to some really interesting venues. I've actually only been to three NBA arenas. I've only ever done Barclays, uh, MSG, obviously, and then uh, formerly, the artist formerly known as Talking Stick Resort in Phoenix, Arizona, where I've seen probably about 90% of the NBA games I've seen in my life. But, but what's it for you? Where, where are the best places you've been, obviously, MSG and beyond?
1: Yeah, I've um, so I'll, I'll just lead off by saying basketball arena-wise, MSG is definitely the best, like, period. I, I think I would struggle to find a basketball arena that could somehow be better. Um, cause you got the, the, and and I mean, that's not even just as a Knicks fan, like there's MSG has done a really good job of like keeping the old school ambiance while also really modernizing and cutting edging that, uh, that arena over the years where like you have like the chase bridge now, which is like a thing that you don't have any other arena and those seats are like legitimately like really, really cool to sit in. Um, there's really not a bad seat in the house now since they did the, the, uh, reimagining of the place. Like even the, the most nosebleedy seats still give you a good view of the court and everything. Uh, so I think MSG is the best and, you know, food wise, it's whatever. I, I find MSG food to be okay. Uh, if I was going to suggest they have the, the one pizza place that gives you the super giant slices, that's a pretty, uh, I forget the name of it, but that's pretty good value. And, um, I always, I always do either the mixed drinks or the frozen cocktails because I think that's the best bang for your buck if you're trying to get uh, a little liquored up at the game. Uh, and of course, if you're not driving home or anything, uh, take public transit, take an Uber, whatever. Um, but you know, like it, you could get like a double mixed drink there, and they give you one of the little like cocktail glasses, and they'll literally pour like uh, like a solid like three shots in one of those for you for about twenty bucks, which is about as good as you're going to get at. at, at at any bar in New York city is three shots for 20 bucks. So uh, that's definitely my recommendation drink wise. Um, then the other basketball arenas I've been to, I've been to Barclays, not for a game, but for the draft. Uh, I think I've been there twice now to see the draft. And uh, I mean, I don't know Barclays to me, it, it looks well, I personally, I think it looks ugly on the outside. Now I was never a fan of that whole, like, you know, designing it to rust on the outside look i just i don't think it looks nice i think it makes it look like it's like like deserted (laughs) and like it's just dilapidated and whatever and i know that's the idea is supposed to represent industry or whatever but i don't really dig the outside look of barclays but inside i didn't really find it to be anything special it's inside it's kind of just an arena um i i'll admit i didn't really get any food there so i can't speak to that really but it there's nothing too special about it to me um, same goes for the other two arenas. Well, okay, I'll save the last one for last, but uh, I've been to Wells Fargo in Philly. Uh, that's where the, the Sixers play and and the Flyers for hockey. I've actually been Oh, to... yeah, yeah, sorry sorry for interrupting me. You
0: just remind me. I have also been there, so I guess four arenas.
1: Yeah, um, Wells Fargo is okay. I mean, it's literally, it's just a cookie-cutter basketball arena. There's, like, nothing special about it. I will say, though, if you're looking for good food, and Philly is a somewhat reasonable drive from DC. Uh so for for Paul for this one, if he ever wants to go up and see the Knicks versus the Sixers, that the entire Philly area has one of my favorite stadium food type items, and that's the Chickies and Pete's crab fries. Um are these they do crinkle cut french fries, but they're seasoned with old bay seasoning. And then they have this cheese sauce that goes with them. And like it's like crack. Like I could eat 10 pounds of them and not get tired of eating them so if you're strictly looking for cool food items the philly stadium go there go to any of the philly stadiums and you can get chickies and pete's there uh or just go to philly in general though i don't know not my favorite city in the world so i wouldn't recommend just going there like just to chill um (laughs) but as far as you know a singular food item that's that's one that i would travel for um, and then the other arena that I had been to back in the day is the Izod Center. They don't do uh, basketball anymore. Actually, I guess I've also been to Prudential Center, so like the two Jersey arenas. Um, Izod Center is retired now. They don't do basketball or hockey or anything. Um, and, uh, and and then um, uh, Prudential Center, they do the Devils hockey now still, and they had done the Nets for a year, and they do Seton Hall basketball. I mean, Prudential's nice enough. Again, kind of, it's just a basketball arena. IZOD was a piece of crap, and it's a good thing that they retired. My wife also just came up the stairs and mouthed to me to remind me that I have actually been to the Utah Jazz Arena as well. Uh, I almost forgot about that because my aunt and uncle live in Utah, and so I got to go see a jazz game the one time. And their arena again, I mean, I don't know. I think basketball arenas just have less character in general than, like, baseball stadiums for example so i guess that's just a a, another arena that i've been to that i i literally forgot that i'd even been there um i I forget what they're even calling it now uh but it's i mean it's fine it's a basketball arena where you can go watch basketball players play basketball i mean i think the msg is unique among basketball arenas and that there actually is some character to the building um and it looks a little different from like the the garden ceiling that they light up and, um, you know, the the chase bridge and all that. Like it, it feels like more of an experience than most arenas. So uh, my advice basketball arena wise to Paul would be make the trip at least once to go to MSG if you haven't already, because it definitely stands out among basketball arenas. I don't know if you feel any different about the basketball side of it, Gavin.
0: No, I would say M- MSG is pretty special. Um, I'm fond of of Phoenix just because it's it's where I've seen the majority of my games and a lot of a lot of great snacks there and and more reasonably priced than both MSG and Barclays so that's that's kind of nice I'm with you on Philly didn't really stand out to me except for that's the only arena in which I've ever like gotten a credential for an NBA game and like quote unquote like I was, I was working stats for our, our boss David Locke covered an NBA game so that was a pretty unique experience um, maybe this is taking the question in the direction it wasn't supposed to go but I I would argue that my favorite sports experiences in terms of the arena themselves have pretty much all been college arenas, and maybe that's because outside of a one Suns game where I got to sit, uh, I think like it was second or third row for something like $35, that's, that's, how, that's how great Suns tickets were uh, back in the day when they were, were really, really bad. Um, that, outside of that, um, I would say, again, I, I just think the most special experiences are at college arenas because they're a little bit more unique and a little bit more intimate um, so I will throw out, um, Poly Pavilion where UCLA plays. I got to broadcast an ASU UCLA game. And that was the year that Lonzo, uh, was, was the starting point guard. And they also had Bryce Alford, they had TJ Leaf, they had EK, Anibogu, uh, Isaac Hamilton, I believe really, really loaded, fun UCLA team. And ASU was, was half decent that year, but just, just a very, very cool place to be and call a game. Like you could you know, one of those places like where they have the big John Wooden statue outside, you can kind of. Feel the history as you're going in. And then uh, I'm a lifelong Oklahoma football fan. So that, uh, I think it's, I believe it's called the Palace on the Prairie is the, uh, is the nickname for the arena there. But yeah, pretty, pretty special place. It felt like, at least for me, just because I've been growing up watching all their games, a, a borderline religious experience. So all, all that to say is like, um, while, while some arenas have unique architecture, and, and for me at least, there are a bunch of places just on the bucket list to go. Like I'd love to go see a game at Lambeau at some point. Um, obviously I'd love to get to every NBA arena. At some point in my life, but I, I think you should go to places with character and history, and, and generally not not always, but I think of I think more so you you feel that a little bit more either in in football in general or in or in college basketball. So I'd, I'd recommend seeking out those spots, Paul, or anyone listening, if, if there's a specific place that's special to you.
1: I would also add baseball. I think baseball stadiums have the most character. Yeah, of any.
0: Fenway, even even yeah. as a Yankees fan, Fenway is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, I've never been to Fenway. I always thought that would be cool. Wrigley, I. Wrigley, I want to sit in those seats that are, like, on the, like, the um, apartment building or whatever, like, across the street from there, where you, like, sit on the roof of the apartment building and watch a game at Wrigley across the street. Like, I always thought that was really cool. Um, yeah, I I think uh, out of other arenas that I've been to, like, I, just off the top of my head, uh Let's see. So I was just actually to Citizens Bank Park, not for a baseball game, but for a concert last week. That's the Philly um, baseball stadium. And again, I, I mean, it was OK. It was kind of cool. if if I was more into like Philly, I probably would have appreciated the experience more. But mostly I enjoyed my crab fries and that was it. Uh, Yankee Stadium, I was actually just to uh, I've been to <laughs> I hadn't been to either of those stadiums and I've been to both of them within the last two weeks. Uh, I went to New Yankee Stadium that place I think is really boring if I'm being completely honest. And I'm not trying to be a hater as a Mets fan here, but like compared to city field where the Mets play, I think Yankee stadium is boring as hell. Like it's just very corporate. Like there's nothing special about it anymore. Like the old Yankee stadium they used to have, like you could go down to uh, monument park or whatever. And that was cool. And like, I don't know, new Yankee stadium. I feel like just lacks that character that the old stadium had. Um, let's see. Then. Yeah. Uh... MetLife Stadium, also super, super corporate. Uh, I just, there's nothing really special about it. They set out to make a giant football stadium that could house 80,000 people, and they did just that. And that's it. Uh, there's I don't find anything to be particularly charming about it. It's a big metal structure where you go and watch football games. Um, other arenas, I, I don't know. Nothing else really jumps out to me in the general tri state area. Uh, but I will say City Field is probably my favorite venue to go to period and I mean it's not just because I'm a Mets fan but uh, Paul specifically asked about food city field has the the best food of any stadium it like I struggle to, to think that there could be better food anywhere else like they literally they go around before every season and like I would love to be their like food coordinator or whatever but they basically just pull from all of the the hottest new like New York hotspots, you know, and like all the coolest food trends that are going on in the city at any given moment. And they get them set up as food vendors in city field. And so every single year you're just treated with this like amazing food that you literally, you know, can only find in New York at these like specialty stores. Like sometimes it'll be a place to have one location in the city, but also a stand at city field kind of thing. And you just get all this whack food, like uh, like lobster tacos and like, uh, Pat Lafrida, you know, steak sandwiches and, uh, fuku chicken sandwiches. Um, like, uh, there's a, they had a burger this year. That's like a, uh, they called it like the Pete Alonzo burger, but it was a Pat Lafrida like truffle burger blend with like caramelized beer braised onions and like, uh, Gouda cheese on top or something like, They just have all this amazing food there. Like you could, I I describe Mets games a lot of times to people is like, it's like you go to a food festival and a baseball game breaks out because there's just so much good food there. So I would definitely like if people haven't been to City Field that listen to this and they want to just like go just for like a chill experience where you can just kind of like take in a baseball game and also eat a ton of really good food. City Field's like that spot. They've, they're like the food king as far as I'm concerned with stadiums.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to quickly throw this out because I I forgot about initially far and away. My best food experience ever came at a Dodgers stadium or at, at a, at a sporting event they had, uh, this was maybe, maybe this one would only cater to an LA slash New York crowd and and me specifically, but a a beyond hot dog, which was amazing. Maybe that it's probably increasingly an option at stadiums, but also um, Alex, I don't know if you've ever had this before, because I think it's, it's mostly in LA, but uh, a mango cart beer, which was just just delicious and a, and a, g- a great combo with the hot dog like just ex- exactly what you want to be drinking at a baseball game because it was just it was so refreshing and weirdly, weirdly for for alcohol felt hydrating it was it was just it was awesome great great experience at Dodger Stadium so shout out to them too another place i would recommend but yeah that's that's it on my end i don't know did you have any any final place you want to slip in or is that it
1: no i think that's it i mean i, I can't think of any other oh I, I guess okay there was one other stadium i've been into and again it was just a a nothing of a stadium but one time I because my dad lives in St. Louis I went to a, a Rams game at their old stadium in St. Louis before they moved to LA and that stadium was a piece of garbage um, shout out to their owner who like refused to even entertain the idea of getting a stadium that wasn't a piece of crap to try to draw more people in there and just want to move to LA instead of staying in St. Louis so um yeah that's it I I struggle to think off the top of my head, If other than like minor league baseball and stuff like that, shout out Somerset Patriots uh, in New Jersey. Uh, other than that, there hasn't really been any other stadiums that I've been to that I can remember. So I think I'm good. I think I'm I'm good to not add any more to the list. I'll just shout out one more time. Go to City Field if you haven't gone to City Field and you listen to this podcast and you like baseball even a little bit. Go there and check that out because it's, it's a fantastic field to go to and to go eat at and just like pig out. Come with a budget of like, 80 bucks to get some drinks and, and some really good food. Uh, anyway, I think we can wrap up our second episode of this mailbag, uh, the aforementioned wedding that I'm sweat blocking myself for. I got to leave for to go to the rehearsal dinner now. So I uh, hope everybody enjoys their weekend. We will be back to finish up some of these mailbag questions, but if you still have questions, feel free to hit us up on Twitter, either in the DMS or under our tweet where we were asked for questions. Cause We'll take as many questions as you guys want to ask and and stretch them into more shows because we love answering these questions from you guys. So until next time, peace out. Talk to you all soon.